1: John seventeen, twenty to 26. My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I've given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. I and them and you and me so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them. Even as you have loved me father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am and to see my glory, the glory that you've given me because you have loved me before the creation of the world. Righteous father, Though the world does not know you, I know you. And they know that you have sent me. I have made you known to them and will continue to make you known in order that the love you have for me may be in them and that I myself may be in them. The gospel of our Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ.
2: Well, now having heard our gospel text, we make space to consider this text together. And before we do that, Our practice is to open ourselves to God and to each other with a moment of quiet so that we can show up, pay attention, and be present. That's what makes these moments sacred. So as best as you know how, whether you have lots of faith or doubt, whether you have lots of courage or fear, let's just bring our full selves to this moment and open ourselves to God together. One moment of quiet. God, open our hearts to you and to each other. Give us the grace and the courage we need to live out this prayer of Jesus, to make it a reality in our world today, on earth as it is in heaven. Amen. I love this prayer of Jesus. I'm myself part of an organization that is called by this name, John 17. But why this text now? Today, is, after all, the last day of Easter season, before we turn to Pentecost next week. And you see, the Gospel readings during Easter have had us focusing on sort of two kinds of stories. First, we get the appearances of Jesus. He comes to the disciples as a stranger, only to be recognized, and then to offer important wisdom for the journey ahead. In recent weeks, we've been focusing on a farewell speech by Jesus, a very well-known one in John's Gospel. And it's a farewell to his disciples. And so now again, why are we focusing on this farewell speech during Easter? Didn't this stuff happen before the death and resurrection of Christ in the first place? Well, the answer is yes. But the reason we focus on this speech becomes clear when you consider the moment that Easter invites us into. This is a time between Jesus' resurrection and his ascension. And this is liminal space. It's a moment of transition. It's what the poet John O'Donohue calls the in-between time. And it just so happens that this in-between time is always a right moment for reflection. It isn't unlike our current situation now. We are like the disciples in the in-between. We're nestled between life as we once knew it and this uncertain form that our new normal will take. Now, the time between the Resurrection and the Ascension of Christ was 40 days, and this past week uh, we remembered the Ascension as a church, and I smiled when I heard that event reinterpreted this week as Jesus going back home uh, to work from home. Um, And so you have this 40-day period, right? Resurrection to Ascension. And then the span of the Resurrection to Pentecost was 50 days, 10 days more. Now, in New York this past week, we passed the 60-day mark of quarantine. So I think that we can all connect meaningfully to this Easter season of in-betweens where we're basically sitting around, we're waiting, and we're reflecting. We're trying our best to connect what can appear to be the random dots of our lives. And this is why the farewell speech was so important. The disciples were ruminating. They were running these last conversations with Jesus over and over in their minds and in their conversations with each other as well. They were connecting a thousand dots between what they had heard and what they had perhaps believed or maybe misunderstood in their current experience. They might've thought, do you remember that thing he said? Do you remember when he said that? And someone would correct and say, oh no, he didn't say it like that. He said it like this. And they would wrestle and they would debate and they would wonder how it all fit together. And so to step into this farewell speech is to step into the disciples' shoes as they wrestle with life and they try to connect the dots. Now, this is the end of the farewell speech, and you usually say only the most important things when you want to say, uh, when you're saying goodbye and you know it's your final goodbye. And we get nothing more important than Jesus' words here in John 17. Jesus expresses a central wish for humanity that we all be one. Now Jesus prays, I pray, quote, I pray also for those who, believe in me through their message that all of them may be one, Father. Just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I've given them the glory that you gave me that they may be one as we are one. I in them, you in me so that they may be brought to complete unity. And then the world will know that you sent me and that you've loved them even as you have loved me. This was the final prayer of Christ for us. Unless you think this is just like an aside or some icing on the cake of Jesus, other focus or other teaching, consider this is the vision. This is the end game as portrayed in the writings of his disciples. In Ephesians one, we get this big picture view of God's purposes, uh, with all wisdom and understanding. the, The writer says God made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ, to be put into effect when the times reach their fulfillment. And what is that? Quote, to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. End quote. And recently it's been argued that this radical oneness was at the heart of possibly the oldest known creed in Christian history. A creed likely recited by people being baptized during the first 20 to 30 years after Christ died. It shows up in Paul's letter to the Galatians, one of the earliest manuscripts in the New Testament, Galatians 3, 26 through 28. And this is what we read. For you are all children of God through faith in Jesus Christ. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ, there is no Jew or Greek. There is no slave or free. There is no male and female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. And this same theme, rooted in Jesus' prayer, echoed in Jesus' last prayer, uh, It rooted in his life, echoed in his last prayer, front and center in the vision of the apostles, confirmed through what's possibly Christianity's early creed, it's here. And this is the theme, that we all be one. Now, Jesus was a radical and his life and message were kind of like a seed planted into the world well ahead of its time. And what was this seed? This seed is the driving assumption of Jesus' prayer for unity. It's the driving assumption of that Ephesian vision of ultimate unity and of that most primitive creed. And this is the assumption that God has made everything and that God loves everything unconditionally and therefore. We all are connected and belong to each other. Now this holy assumption, this divine seed was planted into a world that's often divided and falsely united. The seed of unity is set against a backdrop of those dangerous and often violent unities of our egos and our empires and our religions. These unities that depend on and are fueled by the existence of created outsiders. These unities that dominate and they divide us into us and them. There's a reason that people are suspicious of churches talking about unity, because unity is often just another form of colonizing. The imposed identity of the powerful, the winners, it yields a certain oneness too. A story and a culture are set, and then if you violate that story, you violate the values or the beliefs, you're eradicated. And if eradication is too much then subordination offers enough oneness. Women to men, gay, bi, trans to straight, children to fathers. Sameness can be measured in degrees, degrees of separation from the norm, which for us happens to be white, male, Christian, and straight. And so people worry, especially people who haven't enjoyed cultural power. And to them, oneness as sameness is worth worrying about. See, the skeptical remind us of an important truth, the truth shown over and over again by Jesus' story, that unity by exclusion and and subordination is nothing to celebrate. And this is why one of our five core cultural values as a church is unity, because it's so easy to screw up. This is our basic problem. We find every way to distinguish ourselves apart from love. We take that tried and true shortcut to unity and peace that we call scapegoating. We take the creed in Galatians, for example, this sort of baptismal creed, which might be the earliest that we have. It says there's no distinction. There's no Jew or Greek, no slave, no free, no male nor female, for you're one in Christ. And this doesn't mean that there's no difference. It simply means that according to the love of God, the God who is love, difference can count neither for you nor against you. And yet the church, so quickly perverted this rite of baptism itself, turning it into a new mechanism for dividing humanity into us and them and reinforcing that imagination and the policies of ego and empire. It frames the basic problem as one where we're on the wrong team and we just need to make sure that we get on the right team. And humans can think and act in despicable ways when they believe that they're on the right team. The problem with this is that it cuts right against the life and the prayer of Jesus, who made no distinction, who welcomed everyone at his table, and who saw only one team. And this wasn't the stuff of uniformity, right? It was an acknowledgement that despite our differences, we belong to each other. And yet we refuse to open our hearts and our minds and our tables the way Christ did. There is of course a paradox at work here. I mean, Jesus did, after all, have some hard words for people. But what those words were and who those words were aimed at makes all the difference in the world. And it sort of clues us in into how that paradox resolves. When I was on a peacemaking pilgrimage to the Holy Land, I found myself in the presence of a living legend, Elias Shakur. He was a leader in the twilight of his life. He was Palestinian, and he was Christian, and he was living in the West Bank. And he said this to us in a private meeting. He said, quote, every man, woman, and child is welcome at the table of God. And the only one who is not welcome is the one who cannot welcome every man, woman, and child. So brilliant. And in one pithy comment, he summarized the hidden wisdom of the Jesus life and of Jesus message, that the people Jesus reserved the hardest words for were often the gatekeepers They were the political and religious leaders who had power to decide who was in and who was out. And Jesus railed against their hypocrisy because in the end, Jesus revealed that we cannot live by inflated holiness codes or purity obsessions. In the end, the only thing that counts is mercy for Jesus. There is no us or them. There is only us. And so as a church, we continually set the tone for that oneness, and we work to build a culture and processes that help us facilitate that oneness. We know that oneness of Jesus' prayer here is often thwarted by us in the name of God or in the name of Christ. And we really, as, as humanity, want those dividing walls that create hostility. But this Corona mystery is sort of ringing in our ears by now that we are all connected, yes, but that we're all raging also in one way or another. We all feel a deficit without love, a a deficit that you better believe that we're going to fill. And so we need God's love more than ever. But this is where the vision of Jesus' spirituality, it's not idealistic, it's not ethereal, it is earthy. It's not locked into the vertical. It comes alive and it's expressed and it gains legitimacy in the horizontal. Do not judge by appearances, but judge with right judgment, Jesus says. In John 7. For wherever uh, whoever says that they're in the light and hates his brother and sister is still in the darkness, we read in 1st John. And there also we find that they who do not love their brothers and sisters whom they have seen cannot love the God whom they have not seen. You see, Jesus and G- Jesus' earliest followers basically said, get out of here with your invisible spiritualities that make you feel right and make you feel safe at the expense of another. Instead, embrace the only spirituality that can produce the oneness of Jesus' prayer and the oneness of Jesus' table and the oneness of all humanity. A spirituality that, like God, shows no partiality because we're all fearfully and wonderfully made. If you are closed off or hate or despise or are disgusted with a person or group, fine. Just don't call it Christian. Or blessed or anointed. Just call it what it is. It's sin. And whenever you feel yourself leaning on a part of your identity to sort of make yourself feel better about yourself or to make someone else feel small, understand that this is what the Bible calls satanic, a false forced unity. We need this prayer of Jesus that assumes the gospel, the good news of Christ, that you are loved and so is everyone else, and that this connects us all. So we should honor that connection, period. Amen.
0: Thank you for listening to the Good Shepherd New York podcast. Good Shepherd New York is an interdenominational church centered around the life and teachings of Jesus Christ. Our church is theologically rooted in the apostles and Nicene creeds, but we welcome people of any or no religious backgrounds to participate in our community. If you would like to support us, please text Good Shepherd NY, all lowercase with no spaces, to 77977. That's Good Shepherd NY to 77977. Or visit our website, GoodShepherdNewYork.com. Thank you for listening.